let's talk everything about AI that a voice actor needs to know, but was afraid to ask. You're a voice actor. You're an entrepreneur. You're a VOpreneur. Welcome to the Everyday VOpreneur Podcast, your guide through the business of voiceover. Frustrated, overwhelmed, defeated. Are any of these three words words that you use when you think about your marketing game or when you describe your marketing game? If so, I can help you with that. I want you to go to veopreneur.com and check out all of the amazing resources there, including past episodes of this podcast, the Free Advice Friday live stream, and of course, premium resources like masterclasses and coaching, all designed to make you a more confident and effective marketer. Everything you need is at veopreneur.com. That's veopreneur.com. The Veopreneur Podcast. Hey, it doesn't suck. Not as funny as Conan. Not as cute as Seth Meyers. Not as smart as Colbert. But he's one of us, and that counts for something. Here's Mark Scott, the original everyday VOpreneur. Once upon a time, some good-hearted folks with the desire to work even harder than they already were decided to get together and create an organization called NAVA, which I believe stands for No Artificial Voices Allowed. Not quite, actually. It stands for (laughs) National Association of Voice Actors. I know you're going to think about renaming it now. But part of their mission is to speak on behalf of voice actors everywhere to make sure that we're getting treated fairly as the rise of artificial intelligence and synthetic voices gains momentum. So my guests today are the Nava founder and president and co-founder and vice president. Both of them have been on the show before in other capacities as well. But welcome back, Tim Friedlander and Karen Gilfrey. Hello, hello. No artificial voices allowed. <laughs> I feel like, I like at, at, at the very least, there's some merch in there. <laughs> right. <laughs> so AI. How much do you want? 10%, 20%? 20%. You know what? You take the money, yeah. put it in the Brad Fund. We're, we're good to go. But I, 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 think cool. there's, I think there's an opportunity there. So AI, are you tired of talking about it yet? Never. Not at all. No. <laughs> Never. No. <laughs> we talk about it all day, every day. Yes. I was going to say, you possible. are so well versed in it at this point. You can probably <laughs> do this with, you know, your eyes closed and your hands tied behind your back. But but there's a lot to cover. And yes. I will be the first to admit that I am relatively clueless about a lot of this stuff. And so that's why I'm really looking forward to getting some clear answers from you guys. So let's start with, Tim, we're going to start with you. And We've we've done an interview before that talked about mm-hmm. Nava, so I don't want to deep yeah. dive into what Nava is because we'll refer back mm-hmm. to that interview. But yeah. for those that are maybe not familiar, this is their first time hearing it before they get a chance to go back and, and listen to that interview. Just give us kind of the, the the general overview of the who, what, and why of of Nava. Yeah, Nava grew out of the kind of the community groups that Karen and I had both been running for years. She had voice actors at NYC. Um, I had Gardner Street and Gardner Collective and various other things in LA. And we we just wanted to take that. I think both of us saw all of these same questions always getting asked in all the different groups and all the different places. And and basically we're spending a lot of our time answering the same questions in that group over here and this group over here and people coming. And so we so many people not getting not having a single place to go to to find some really what we what we believe to be accurate information or or some helpful information. And so we decided to put together this this group that would this association that would be able to provide a larger, larger platform for, for that. And then specifically um, to be able to offer access to national healthcare. Um, and that was, that was kind of the very, the, the impetus for all this in the first place, which we launched with in November of 2022, and then immediately jumped into the AI discussion right after that. Started out with this noble goal of healthcare, which she thought like, <laughs> oh, we could tackle that. No problem. And then yeah. somebody just dropped the AI bomb on you. Yep, exactly. And all of a sudden healthcare wasn't a big yeah. deal. We're like, oh, health, healthcare, getting healthcare, is, healthcare that's easy done. now. Yeah. <laughs> we don't need that if we the robots it. take over. So. We solved right. it. No. <laughs> all right. So let's start with the recent SAG after deal. So mm-hmm. for a while, it felt like everybody in Hollywood was on strike and there was never going to be a new season of television ever again. But SAG ultimately came to terms with the deal with the Alliance of Motion Picture and Television Producers. One of the points that I know was big in the strike was regulating artificial intelligence usage. So either one of you, both of you, mm-hmm. let's talk about the, the end result of that particular deal and how that specifically impacts voice actors. 
You know, that's a great question. I think, you know, one of the things about this, the, the specifically the TV theatrical strike, is that so much of the voiceover industry doesn't work under that contract. So a lot of what was in that discussion and what was being discussed and what came out of that doesn't necessarily impact voice actors. Um, and this was mentioned last night in, um, Zeke Alton mentioned this last night, there's over 600 sag after contracts wow. that exist. And right now, there is one contract that has references to AI protections or language or anything in it. So you got you get your work um, cut out for you then. Uh, only five hundred and ninety nine yeah, yeah. to go. <laughs> exactly. Um, so I, you know, I think that regardless of you know the content of this, it's very difficult because so much of what is in that contract specifically addresses, and when I say that contract, the TV theatrical contract yep. that was negotiated addresses image and scans and movement and things that are going to, that are going to affect um, on-camera actors, but not necessarily affect voice actors. Now replicas, digital replicas will affect voice actors and anything that has, I think a general scope, anything that, that holds companies accountable to AI with some kind of regulations is good because we can then at least build from there and make it better. Right. Um, there's a lot of people who are very upset with this. It did not, you know, people, there is, there is a call for a prohibition on AI completely. Um, that is something that SAG-AFTRA has not ever taken a stance on to try and do, and something that Nava, even from the very beginning, we kind of we came to this. It was more of a discovery or a realization that that prohibition. We're ten late, ten years too late to this discussion. Yeah, I, I think there's prohibit. a slim to AI. none Absolutely. chance of yeah, that no. ever happening in yeah. any capacity uh, with regards to AI, not just related yeah. specifically to voiceover entertainment. Just period. I think yeah, that ship sailed. Yeah. Yeah. I think also, you know, technology will move forward. AI will go on with or without the participation of actors. Yes. So anything that we can do to have more protections in place is good. Union protections are some of the best because sag has tons of resources, tons of lawyers. They have they will, you know, stand by their members and defend their contracts and go to bat for actors who are affected by this. If you're non-union, you might have the protections of the um, the the legal system. You might have protections of a lawyer that you pay, but it's not the same as having union protections. So anytime the union can offer a little bit of a, an umbrella to, to for you to stand under is is a good thing. I want to expand on that a little bit, though, because yeah. I think one of the points is, you know, you mentioned, OK, on the non-union side, you, you, you could get a lawyer. But how much does that matter at this point? Because the whole thing, the whole system is so new and there's not really a lot of rules and regulations around it yet. So can a lawyer even protect you at this point? Because we're not even sure what we're yeah. being protected from. Like that's yeah. still being figured out, right? Yeah, a lot of this stuff is completely untested. Yeah. So yeah. even just the idea that your voice print is protected biometric data is not widely adopted in every single state federally, you know, yeah. in the United States. So and and your voice print can be used as biometric data. Anyone who's ever called their bank and and used my voice is my password. Now that I said that, everyone who listens to this podcast can access my <laughs> bank accounts. Um, knows that you can, you know, use voice print as biometric data. When your mom calls you from an unknown number and says, hi, honey, you know, in two words yeah. who it is, who's yeah. called you without ever looking at the caller ID, because your mother's voice print is so deeply burned into your brain, you yep. can recognize it. So having that be protected is very, very important to us. Um, and uh, and that's what we've been going to to D.C. and talking about with lawmakers. There are a bunch of bills that are that are in draft and coming before the the um, Congress and uh, we're in support of those and we're helping to write them if we can and <laughs> doing our best, at, you know, because there just aren't any laws yet. Let's talk be. about that, because on one hand, I feel like it's us against big tech. And like, honestly, when it comes to influence in D.C. or, you know, money talks and big tech yeah. has literally all the money. 
what kind of things, I know you spent some time in DC, so talk about some of the things that you guys have been doing, some of the conversations that you've been having, because I know that was a big thing after Mavo, you were, you were off to DC for some meetings, so yep. expand on that. Yep. I think the more that we have discussed this, and I've said this, you know, I said this a few times, and and I think you know, Karen and Matthew who, who joined us or all the three of us who went to, went to DC, the more we've had this discussion, the more hope I have. Good. And the better I feel about, um, about a lot of things. I think, I think one of the things that is possibly an unexpected outcome of this is an elevation of respect for artists in general that we haven't seen before an understanding that just because you're an artist or an actor or a musician doesn't mean that you're, living in Hollywood and making a ton of money and going on tour and doing all this, the stuff there's this working class blue collar artist community. That is the majority of artists, right? The majority of, of, of voice actors, the majority of on camera, the majority of musicians are not out there. If you're, you're making a living, if you're lucky, you're making a living doing your art. Mm -hmm. But I think that that's, that this has exposed the reality of what it is to be an artist in any capacity, but especially in the United States, in an area where where it's very very hard to make a living, you don't have government grants to to be an artist. You don't have fed, you know you don't have um, you know like the state or somebody stepping up and providing minimum working wages for for an artist if you want to go in, which they have in some countries. You want to be a painter in a certain country, you can you can make a, a base living as a painter or a musician or some other artist in some of those countries, which we don't have in the United States. Um, and I think what we've seen overall, and and Karen, I think you know. She, you have the same reaction was that people are very receptive to what we have to say. And they're, they're, they're saying, yes, we hear the concern. We understand it makes sense to us. Big question is what is the solution? Yeah. What's the answer? What should we do? And what's great is that I think every single person we spoke with said, I, I understand. So what would you like us to do as opposed to great? That sounds great. We'll go back and discuss yeah. it. They literally are asking us what to do because they want to know our feedback. That's no pressure. Um, that, <laughs> that, what's this? No pressure. Well, you know, it's really sick. I think the first time we first time we got asked that, all all three of us kind of went, um, that is a good. <laughs> I was counting on you to have the answer to that. You're not supposed. To, I <laughs> exactly. just wanted to raise like, the we issue. Tell, <laughs> we just yeah. want to support what you already said that you yeah, want exactly. to do, right? No. Yeah. <laughs> so, which which is kind of nice because then we you know we get to kind of talk about. You know, we, you know, just because something is legal, is it ethical? Just because something is the way it has been forever, is that the way that it should be going forward? Does this new technology mean we have to change a lot of the ways that we, that we legally think about transfer of rights, or we think about artists' creations, or we think about our voice, the sound of our voice, um, which I think a lot of people didn't really think about how, how um, delicate and how, um, open to misuse the sound of your voice could be right if you want more voiceover work you have to have more leads this is the simple math equation more leads equals more prospects equals more clients equals more auditions equals more bookings equals more earnings but it all starts with more leads that's why I have created a masterclass called 101 Ways to Find VO Leads. In this class, you are going to get exactly what I say. Actually, not quite. You're going to get even more because I believe that I ended up sharing 121 or 122 ways to find voiceover leads. Ways that you have never thought of before. Check out this class to get inspired for where to look for voiceover leads because they are literally everywhere. So if you want more work, you need more leads. And if you want more leads, get this class, 101 Ways to Find VO Leads. It's available at vopreneur.com. Click on the store button. Go to vopreneur.com and click on the store button. Now back to our show. So you've had conversations with people in D.C. then, lawmakers mm -hmm. or, you know, people yep. who are potentially going to be making these laws. What are your thoughts as far as are you seeing progress then? Like to me, I feel like if you... Mm -hmm. I don't know, maybe the States is a little different, but Canada, you know, somebody comes up with an idea for a really great law and 10 years later, you're still working on the 327th you know, version <laughs> draft yeah. of, of something that's never actually ever going to get passed. You said you feel optimistic. People were listening. Do you feel optimistic that, that you know, is something happening? Is something going to happen? I think there are a lot of things happening. There yeah. are a lot of different yeah. bills um, that are uh, coming out. Uh, there might be too many, even. <laughs> yeah. like Shocking. Some of them, <laughs> some of them need to be combined it. and distilled yeah. into mm -hmm. into uh, just a few. 
Um, but, but yeah, I'm, I'm very optimistic. You know, also Tim keeps talking about this in all of our meetings, but this is an election year in the United States and the, uh, the potential for, for deep fakes and misuse of people's voices, specifically candidates is, is very, very real. Um, and so I think, I think the lawmakers want to pass things quickly so that it becomes illegal for people to do that kind of thing. One thing that we are very interested in that I think all the lawmakers are also very interested in is a federal right of publicity. So right now in California, in New York, in Illinois, there are some protections about your um, voice likeness and image, Um, but that's not true federally. Okay. Right now, you do not really own the rights to your voice. You don't really own the rights to your Like even listening image. to you say that, I'm like, you, are you freaking kidding me? Like, really? That's you you don't really. If you're a celebrity, if you're a recognizable voice or or likeness, you have more protections than people who are not recognizable. But we voice actors fall into this kind of gray area because honestly, when people see Someone like Scarlett Johansson, they recognize her immediately and she's a celebrity, but people are probably interacting with me and my voice more times in one day than they ever do with Scarlett Johansson (laughs) because of the things that I'm involved in and people are hearing my voice all the time, but, but they don't, they don't recognize me necessarily. So does that make me a recognizable person if the general public doesn't recognize me? It's a, it's a gray area. Right. So, um, a federal right of publicity for all people would make it so that you own the rights to your voice likeness and image. So if somebody scrapes your voice from an Instagram video and wants to use it on a commercial, they can't, they would not be able to do that legally without your express explicit consent. So that's part of what we want and what that- I think the government is moving forward on quickly. That would be amazing. The other question, though, becomes how do you know, right? Like, I'm sure you guys have been there. I've been in a situation where my voice was used in something in a way that it wasn't supposed to be used. And the only reason I found out is because somebody else heard it and was like, oh, that's Mark. I'm going to ask him about it. And they asked me about it. I'm like, what are you talking about? Right? Like, I had no idea. How do you? So it's one thing to have the protections. Then we got to figure out how do we, Well, I don't know, police it or monitor it. Absolutely, and, and that's the next step, and that's that's kind of a parallel thing that I've been working on with a, with a, with a different company to trace, track, and monitor the usage of your voice. Um, and and if you've seen, you know, we've done a, a very small rollout. We're in beta testing. We've seen it in the Gardner Street Group is the lockbox thing that I'm that we've been working on to try and for this exact reason because you currently can't trace, track, or monitor yeah. anything. But ev- anything that is digital is traceable. So we just as voice actors need to figure out how to take control of that tracing and tracking. So that we can monitor that because we have one of the things in addition to right of publicity is is making um, making voice image name and likeness um, a property right that the voice is your property and that you can own that. And in that case, then we would have a right to track and trace our property, the usage of our property where something goes. So we would be able to 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 do that. The technology doesn't exist. Yeah, it doesn't. I mean, or it doesn't exist in a way that we that we as voice actors have access to it, and and that's what we're trying to change. Um, but you know, right? You know, how how do we monitor something? So if we, you know, if we could monitor our own usage, imagine if our agents had the you know the ability to self monitor the usage of their talent. Right. So you know how much something gets aired. That's not. That's not impossible. Spotify does this. All of the platforms do this. They can track the usage. They know exactly how how many ads have been played. You know, advertisers know. They don't go into you know they don't go to they don't go to, to Spotify or to Apple Music or to Google Play or any of these places and just say, great, we trust that my ad aired ten million times yeah. last month. Yeah, they want to know exactly where it aired. They know exactly where that spot aired. Who listened to it? Demographics of who listened to it? How long somebody listened? So we as voice actors, if our voices are in those spots, are in those things that are digitally tracked, we do have the ability, we should have the ability, um, but we do if the technology gets in place to trace, track, and monitor that usage. Um, but that's the next step. And that is so much of what this has been asking for is a third party to not not to let each of these companies self-regulate, but to have a third party that will be the the basically the the verification certification and tracking of of the usage of AI. We're living in the Wild West, man. We this is are. Crazy. One of the <laughs> yeah. other crazy things about AI 
generative AI specifically is that something can be created once and never played again. So when your voice is on an ad, you know, the ad is that is a product and it yep. airs again and again and again. And someone can hear it and go, oh, is this your voice? And then you look it up and you're like, oh, my gosh, it is my voice. Yep. But if something is is made with generative AI, you can literally make it one time. It says that phrase one time in a video game or on the phone or in an ad that is just passing through your Facebook feed or whatever. And then it's gone and no one can ever find it again. No one knows where it came from. You think you heard it, but was it a dream? You don't know, (laughs) you know? (laughs) So, so it's extremely difficult to figure out uh, because of just the nature of it not being, you know, a solid work product. It's something that can just be one time and gone. Tanya, (laughs) I literally, if I literally think like, you know, I've watched the documentaries of them settling West and, and just the world that existed mm. and that, because no, like they were starting from nothing. Right. And it really yeah. does feel like we're, we're starting from nothing. We're trying to figure, and it's not just voiceover, right? It's everybody's trying to figure this out from the, the tech companies that oh, are absolutely. creating it to the, the industries that are impacted by it, to the, to the government that is going to be responsible for regulating it. Everybody is trying to figure this out to, to the consumers who are yeah. using it. Yep. Right. I think yeah. the election thing is going to be huge, though. I mean, it's I've I've, I've already said that. Yeah. How many yeah. things have you come across on the Internet, whatever social media platform that you immediately are suspicious of? Right. Where oh. our guard is so is so Every, much up yeah. right now when it comes to anything, audio, video, images. Right. What do you mean the Pope doesn't wear puffy jackets like we're we're. We're so suspicious of everything. It would be. It would be. (laughs) But well, yeah, you you have to be suspicious of anything, any image or anything that was created prior to January of 2023, right? Or I think some no, somebody said 2022 was when the first images. Um, open AI yeah, everybody started using Lensa. So. Whenever, whenever it was that everyone was like, "Oh, look at this! Let's make Lensa profile pictures." Mm -hmm. That was it. But, you know, so now you, you, now we've gone one step further and I'm being fed ads where you can buy an extra finger to still slip on your hand so that it looks like right. your image is AI generated. Right. So you can cheat on your spouse with your extra finger and there's a picture of it. And you just right it's just it's I don't know. I think that's going to be in some senses. I think maybe it's a good thing that we're in an election year, though, because it is going to force action. Yeah. Right. And and this is not new, right? We ran into some of these problems in the last election already, maybe not in the same capacity because, you know, ChatGPT didn't exist or MidJourney wasn't there or right. whatever, but there were already issues like that happening. It's only going to get exponentially worse for, for yeah. this election. And so maybe that is a saving grace, if you will, that it's forcing lawmakers to get serious about trying to trying to figure some of this stuff out. And I know, like, yeah. for me, I'm just grateful that there's people like you organizations like Nava that are speaking on our behalf because most of the industry is too busy running around with pitchforks and just being pissed off about everything. And that's just not productive, right? Like we need to be a part of the conversation if we're going to shape how this ultimately plays out. And, and, and that right there is really the basis of why, why we felt that, that an AI prohibition wasn't the best course of action when we started, because it's going to happen. The union doesn't, none of us, ACTRA or SAG-AFTRA or any of the unions, Les Voix in France, you said none of these unions have the power to completely keep AI out of the industry, yep. right? Whether, whether they like it, whether they think they do or not, the, the tech companies who are building these things are not used to working with, with artists. They're, they're, you know, they move fast and break things. Yep. And then they tell everybody to adapt or die. Yep. And so, well, you know, we're not going to die. We're not going to adapt. So it's now it's time for them to adapt, yep. adapt or die. And this is what we're seeing. You know, we're seeing, you know, the uh, consumers are pushing back. People are saying, don't feed me something that's AI generated because I know yep. that that you basically got it for pennies, yet you're going to charge me the same amount. Don't give me this crap that is terrible. Why, why would I want to play a video game that you obviously didn't hire human voice actors for and use really terrible generative AI that makes my experience as a consumer and a player terrible? Why would I want to listen to something or, you know, on the flip side, some of the technology, some of the AI stuff that is good is really good, really good and is not discernible. It's not you're not able to tell that it is that it is AI generated. And so now we come into laws and legislation and regulations around labeling and transparency that we as a consumer should have the right to know 
if something is AI generated. That brings up a really great point, Karn. Why don't you talk about what you did at Mavo that scared the crap out of the entire room? <laughs> oh, sure. Your, your demonstration. I mean, you touched on it earlier when you said about, you know, my voice, yeah. my password. Great. Now I just said it. Now I'm, <laughs> now I'm doomed. But, You're doomed. Yeah, I'm doomed. You're doomed. But talk, talk about that presentation because I think uh, I think that was very eye-opening for a lot of people that, that were at that conference and saw you do that. Yeah. So um, we gave a presentation on AI. And as part of the presentation, I asked for a volunteer from the audience to come up and just tell us what they had for breakfast. So a woman named Pat came up and um, and I said, are you OK with me making a synthetic version of your voice? I promise to delete it after after this. And she said, sure. And she told us literally it was about 20 seconds mm -hmm. what she had for breakfast, a little bit about herself. And then we stopped it. And then while Tim did the presentation, I uh, generated a synthetic version of her voice and we played it for the audience. And and it took about actually it took a little longer than two minutes because I was having trouble with the Internet. <laughs> but if the Internet had been perfect, it would have taken me yeah. about two minutes yep. to generate. And one of the things we said was uh, my voice is my password. You now have access to all of my bank accounts. And uh it sounded just like her. Yeah, you couldn't tell the difference. Couldn't tell the difference. Yep. Yeah. So that's what we're dealing with. When we were in D.C., we were just walking down the street with someone from the office that that is helping to connect us to all these senators and congresspeople. And uh, I said, hey, hey, Justin, do you want me to make a synthetic version of your voice real quick? And he said, sure. And and he was just having a conversation with Tim. I turned on my my voice memos on my phone recorded him walking down the street. He didn't have to say anything specific. And I generated a synthetic voice um, for him. And then uh, we said something funny about his office and he sent it around to all his bosses. And it took a few minutes for them to go through and tell everyone in the office that it wasn't real. <laughs> <laughs> I can't but, decide if I am fascinated by this technology or if I am literally scared to death of it. It's it's a, it's it's both fascinating and yeah. frightening. And here's the yeah. thing, like it's wonderful to include the Nava AI synthetic voice writer with all of your contracts because you only need three seconds of source material to create a believable synthetic version of someone's voice. So if you're like, oh, well, I just did a 15 second commercial for them. So that's not going to be enough to make a synthetic voice. It is absolutely enough. Yeah. Um, even just like your, if you have a long name slate, <laughs> that's enough. Even just your outgoing yeah. voicemail is enough. But the thing is, you know, for years, years, we've been sending our files without any kind of AI writer. And so that means that every client you've ever worked with throughout your entire career, if you didn't include an AI contract writer, they have those files if you gave them rights to those files in perpetuity to do with whatever they want, legally, they may or may not have the right to create a synthetic version of your voice and never tell you about it. That's crazy. So you could retroactively go back to every single client you've ever worked with and ask them not to do that. But is that is that good a good business practice? I don't know. Is that going to hurt you, you more than you it helps you? Then you just gave them the idea. The ones that didn't think yeah, of right? it before, like, all of oh, a sudden you gave them the idea. I could do that. Yep. So... You know, and then also if someone really wants to create a synthetic version of your voice, they can just go onto your Facebook or your Instagram and find a recording yeah. of you or find an interview of you on a, someone else's podcast, yep. like this podcast, and they can just make yeah, well, a I'm, synthetic I already, version I already of your voice. accepted the fact that I'm screwed between the podcast and YouTube streams <laughs> right. and stuff. I'm like, I'm screwed. Yeah. I, there's nothing I can do at this and, point. But yeah, and that's why we need laws yeah. because it, you know, the AI contract writer is great but it doesn't protect you in every single yeah, it's instance. Got to be, be backed up by if it's there backed up by legislation a that's a different There yeah. has to be a law that says we own our own the sound of our own voices, we own our image. You can't take a picture of me and use it for whatever ad you want and make money off of me without my permission. We need to own the right to our likeness, image and voice. The optimistic Canadian in me wants to think that it's the shiny new object, right? And so right now, because it's so new, everybody's playing around with it, not just clients. Like, you you know, there was a, a story a month or two ago from a radio station somewhere in Europe. I can't remember, Switzerland or something. And they, like, literally ran their whole radio station completely AI for 
24 hours as a publicity stunt or something like that, right? So there's there's this whole shiny new object thing that's going on. And I have had a few clients who have told me that they've tried it, but that ultimately they just hated it and it, or it wasn't good enough or, the, or they didn't like it or, you know, the end user pushed back on it or whatever. And so there's, there's a part of me that wants to believe that that's the story where everybody's trying it to play with it because it's new and they want to see what it's going to be like. But ultimately the, the experience isn't, isn't good enough. And I know even that argument isn't going to hold because the technology is going to continue to improve. It goes back to what you said, Tim, though, about, you know, people are starting to recognize and question, why are you feeding me this? this stuff. I, I, I don't, I wish that there was a little more hope in that, but I, I, like <laughs> I, I said, mean, that's maybe the delusional optimistic Canadian in me. <laughs> yeah, yeah. It's true, okay. but we are also already, even before AI, living in a world of hyper-personalization. Yep. You get onto your Facebook feed and like right now I've been running a lot and, and posting about running and I'm going to run a half marathon on Sunday and so I get just leggings, just like athletic leggings in my feed all, all day long. As many leggings as you can imagine are in my Facebook feed. That's hyper-personalization. Yep. When we talk about AI, AI can make things hyper-personalized in a way that we've never seen before yep. and that people may or may not want. Yep. And that includes television shows that includes video games, that includes ads, that includes going up to a vending machine and it's saying like, hi, Karen, you know, so happy you're here today. Would you like a Sprite like last time? Or do you want to try something new? How about a cherry Coke? Right? Like it's going, they, they're going to do that. Your child will be watching a preschool show on Disney plus and Mickey Mouse will say to them, hi, Alana. Like, (laughs) is it the blue bird or the red bird or whatever, you know, like that will happen because hyper personalization is a very big part of the entire landscape right now. Um, Remember those choose your own adventure books from when you were a kid? Exactly. (laughs) But AI can do that. I, uh, my synthetic voice can say every single person's name that exists in the world correctly with the right accent in the right language. Karen Gilfrey, human, cannot do that. Yep. Yep. It's valid. And see, I think that's the other side of the coin, right? There's there's a lot of doom and gloom. The other side of the coin is if we can get the right regulations, legislation in place, then for the enterprising voice actor, we monetize this and and make it a tool that yep. we use to our advantage and in and and in our business. And and I don't think most people are thinking that way yet because we're still living in the fear of it all. But that feels like the next progression to me is, okay, look, this is not going away, right? We're not going to stop it. So how do we embrace it and how do we benefit, monetize it, whatever? I think that's, that's the next question, right? Yeah. And and that becomes, you know, you you look at, you know, look at, look at licensing terms, you look at various other things that you could do. You look at, you know, the idea that yes, you can license it, but let's prioritize human, human artists before we license something else, or let's explore the, all of the impossible jobs that the human can't do. Like, you know, Karen mentioned of, you know, she, you know, humanly human Karen can't pronounce everybody's name or say the weather report in every location on earth at any given time. That's an impossible job, but you can license and authorize it. And what, what the fear is and what the concern is, is that we don't have control of where, where our voice is being used. So it could be out there saying everybody's name it could be out there welcoming you to you know to order a sprite or a coke it could be as as we've seen in 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 the uk you could be the voice of you know somebody who worked at ibm 25 years ago they are now the voice of wimbledon yeah because ibm licensed their voice to wimbledon to use for all the announcements they're not getting paid for any of that stuff yeah and and this is where the lack of control that something they signed 25 years ago is being used against them now to authorize the use of their voice so exactly what karen said earlier you know all these auditions that we've done on the on you know online casting sites for 20 years does somebody you know has somebody how many of those auditions that go out that you see have 500 people have submitted and not nobody was cast for it yep Yep. they've got those 500 files now against the terms of service they can't use those for anything according to the terms of service, but who's trying? I was going to say, who's, po- who's policing that? In terms of service can be changed at any time. Yeah. Voice 123 exactly. is not yeah. out there tracking where all of yeah. those auditions are landing or what all of those auditions are no. being used and, for, and right? So. Nor can they. Yeah. Like, I mean, yeah. you know, the, unless you build such a mat, you know, like, yep. and, and 
that it's just not possible. The same thing, you know, we, we send them to our agents all the time. We don't know what happens when the agents send it out to the casting director or the casting director sends it to somebody else. You know, we, we have this, you know, we know that there is this, this, you know, unspoken contract or something in there that says it's not going to be used for something outside of the terms of this audition. But that's just hoping that's, that's assuming people do the right thing. And if somebody doesn't do the right thing or, you know, somebody, you, you, you know, you're recording audiobooks in the public domain thinking it's going to be only used to play audiobooks for the blind or to, you know, to, to put public yeah. domain books. And then all of a sudden you find that, 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 that audio is now the, the, the data set of the foundation of Google or whatever it might be. Yeah. Right. You know, legally that's, that is there, but is it ethically, is it the, is it, is it the right thing to do? And this is now where I guess, you know, the, the eternal discussion of, of ethics and, and legality, which bump up against each other yep. all the time, you know, because just because something is legal, it doesn't mean it's right. And, you know, the right things are not always necessarily in, you know, protected by law. So we also, to me and, and to us here at Nava, there is a distinct difference between giving someone a file, a sound recording, a performance as, as its own entity and taking the voice print from that, that file and then propagating it anywhere you want. Like, to me, there's a big difference when I say I give you this file in perpetuity to do with whatever you want with this file. You can cut it up. You can yep. put it into whatever. But when you are using that file to train a synthetic voice model and create a synthetic version of my voice print, that is a difference to me. Yep. Because then that is no longer you're taking the work product and doing whatever you want with it. You're like changing the work product to take my biometric data and using my biometric data however you want. Those are separate things in my mind. Totally different. Yeah. No, that's and that's that's where legislation comes in to make those distinctions. Right. Because it's yeah. probably the distinctions that not everybody's thinking about. Well, we, we touched on this a little bit ago, but let's let's get into it a little deeper. The Replica Studios deal, because this is like it's the hot topic right now that everybody is is talking about. So uh the first or one of the first agreements with an AI studio, is that going to set a precedent going forward for, for future deals? And, and, you know, I guess same question is the, the SAG deal. Like how does this impact voice actors going forward? This is a good question. We had a two hour AMA last night with <laughs> Zeke Alton about this, this very specific thing. And we will link to that. Um, can we, is that somewhere online? Can uh, we link it, to that in the show it, notes? It will be. Yep. Okay. Perfect. Um, yep. I have to, um, I have, um, I will have it up because um, I have the video. So I have to edit the video together and get it up on our YouTube page. Um, amongst all the other things that we do here, we're also our own production studio yep. and Karn and I handle all the graphics and all of the <laughs> all video the graphics, work. And, all the video. <laughs> and all the interviews. We, we write so, articles. <laughs> To, to, this is this says this is multi-layered. The the big issue with the replica agreement was the rollout and the messaging that SAG-AFTRA presented to the community originally was which caused ninety percent of the problems and the concerns that people have with this deal right now. The contract itself is the first of its kind. Okay. It is one of the first that has publicly been released. But regardless of I'm going, to, I'm, going to, I'm going to take a step, step back and take a kind of a broad view of this, that the AI industry is fully unregulated completely. Nobody is held accountable yeah. by any third party to how they use the data. This is a company, an AI company, who said, we will be held accountable by the union. Right. We will be held accountable to the members of the union. We'll be like, we, will be, we will legally be held accountable to this contract. So if you don't like the contract... There's something you can do about it. If you don't like this agreement, the union members can be heard. They can make their, their voices heard and get this contract changed. The agreement is only for a year. Okay. At the end of this year, if we don't like it or nobody's using it, you know, you don't have to work under this contract. You get this contract as replica AI and you say, you know what? I'm not going to work for that company and people don't work for that company. If we don't like the payment structure or how it comes out, then there's something you can do about it. The messaging was a problem in that it wasn't voted on by the membership. And legally, a single part, a single employer contract like this, which is between just the union and just replica, doesn't have to be voted on by the membership. Okay. That's one of the, the things that is that is that is confusing. There are six hundred contracts, and if every single one of those contracts was to go to a national board and then go to a vote 
for 100, 160,000 people to vote on, nothing would ever yeah. get done. It'd be like working so, in government. <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. So on audiobooks, and you know, on audiobooks are not, so there's a difference between collectively bargain where you would, you would collectively bargain with the audiobook, all the audiobook publishers at once, that would be voted on by the membership. These like, individual like contracts. Like the AMPTP. Like with the, the TV yeah. theatrical contract, yep. but audiobooks doesn't work that way. Explain, Tim. <laughs> yeah. So audiobooks, the, the union has a specific contract with each audiobook publisher. Those terms are specific to that publisher. The committee that was voted in and volunteers their time in the union came to that agreement with the company. That committee voted on that and approved this contract with this with this audiobook company. That is that is that is the way that the union works that's the way that the contracts work for these single employer contracts that's what replica is is a single employer contract with replica it doesn't open up it's not giving replica access to all the voices and making voice actors work in ai what it's doing is now you have an ai company that is a signatory to the union and is now being held accountable by the union and their lawyers and the membership to do the right thing and uphold this contract that in whatever capacity we want to talk about, whether you agree with the terms of the contract, that right there is groundbreaking. No other AI company in any capacity is being held accountable to anybody else. I, w- I want to add, too, that just in the same way that SAG-AFTRA has multiple deals with multiple publishers, there will be more deals with more AI yes. companies. So this is the first one, but there will be more coming. And the more AI companies that sign on, to uh you know this idea that they they're going to work with union actors and have a union contract that is a good thing for all of us so the more deals sag after makes with more ai companies the better and then you know as as um duncan who is the the national executive director and other members of the negotiating teams have said this is all great but what we really need is legislation. We need laws. We need federal legislation because there need to be something. There needs to be something in place. So this is a specific contract with Replica. It does nothing for any other company that's out there. So. I've been following along with the Replica situation on X primarily, and following along as an outsider, so to speak, you know, Canadian non non union, but still paying yeah. attention to what's going on. And yeah. as near as I could tell, everybody was just ticked off about the whole entire deal. There was not a lot of positive comments going on, but it sounds like maybe it's because something was getting lost in translation. It sounds like there's, there's maybe a communications issue or, or is it a messaging issue? A messaging problem. Yeah. Yeah. So one of the things, you know, SAG-AFTRA is wonderful and awesome and we appreciate them so much. But one thing I think that, that SAG-AFTRA forgets sometimes is that people who are not union members don't understand all the intricacies of the way the union works. And even within the membership, it's very, very complicated. Like Zeke said, there are over 600 SAG-AFTRA contracts that exist. A lot of people thought when um, actors were striking the TV theatrical contract that all acting was struck. If you were a union actor, you were not allowed to act at all. That wasn't true at all. You just weren't allowed to act in specific TV and films that were that were under that contract. You could still do commercials. You could still do video games. You could still do explainers. You could still do audiobooks. People could still act, just not under that contract, because that is the contract that was being struck. It's the same thing with this. I think there is a certain assumption that people understand the way that SAG-AFTRA works, and so you come out with a message, SAG-AFTRA has made a deal with an AI company, and yeah. everyone thinks, oh my God, every single actor is going to be affected by the one deal with this AI company, and now SAG-AFTRA, you know, and it's secret. They did it in secret. <laughs> they made a deal yeah. secretly, and we didn't vote on it. And that's not, that's just not how it works. Um, everything went exactly as it was supposed to. It's just there's a lack of understanding about how it's supposed to go. <laughs> And, and this, you know, this goes to, you know, some, something that Zeke said last night is, you know, and, and one of the reasons why NAVA exists in the capacity that we exist in is that the voiceover industry is very, very specific in how we operate. And as much as it is, as much as we are actors, this is completely different than how the on-camera world works and how you communicate with the membership who are voice actors has to be different than how you communicate with with um you know th- those who are on camera and we are in a new generation of 
people who full, you know, as this is not, not anything new, who don't trust the union, who are not willing to completely say, okay, I believe the union has my best interests at heart when they did this contract 20 years right. ago. 15 years ago, you still had that sentiment. You have some people, you know, there's definitely, and, and I, I see this in, uh, you know, in, in many discussions, there's a big, there's a generational gap and it's not age. It's those who have either been in the union, who joined the union 10 years ago or joined the union within the last 10 years. And those who joined the union more than 10 years ago have a much bigger trust and believe the union is, is, is supporting them than those who don't, who joined within the last 10 years or the last five years or the last few years who don't believe that the, in, that the voiceover, that the union has the voice actors interests at heart because they don't think that the union understands how we actually operate. Right. And so understanding that this messaging and looking at, you know, talking about, you know, about being on Twitter, I'm going to call it Twitter because I don't believe in X, but, <laughs> um, but the, if you were just to have followed just the consumer sentiment that was happening on Twitter or online, over the weekend before they announced the replica agreement, you would have changed your messaging. You would have seen that the Wacom and, and Dungeons and Dragons Wizards of the Coast debacle was happening over the weekend, where people were furious about, about companies who they thought supported artists were using AI against artists. And so right. you had you had Wizards of the Coast as number one, you have Wacom as number two, and all of a sudden you have SAG after as number three. Right. They got they get lumped into that. So you have to be aware of what the sentiment is in the community and what people are doing, what people are saying. This is where I, I go back to, you know, I have this unfound faith in consumers that the consumers are going to really lead or have a larger impact on the implementation and adoption of of synthetic and AI generated content than I think probably legislation or laws will. Right. You said to Mark that, you know, you're an outsider, you're, you don't live in the U.S. and you're not a member of sag -AFTRA. And yes, while that may be true, I would say that this contract is good for all of us, even people who don't live in the U.S. and don't and are not part of the union. Number one, because any actor can work under a union contract. And if you have the opportunity to work under a union con contract, you absolutely should because there are protections there for you that wouldn't exist otherwise. Number two, this deal is not bad. And having a company yeah. agree to uh, abide by union rules and regulations is a really good thing. And the fact that this was the first contract to come out, there are things that, that we all wish were in there that are not in there. But the first thing that is released sets the precedent for the entire world. Yep. So now everyone and this contract is public. So now everyone can see you get a four hour session and it's this fee. You get a six hour session and it's this fee to generate the voice. That is now a precedent. So any company yep. that comes to you and says, we want to create a synthetic version of your voice, we're not going to pay you at all. You can say, you know what? Actually, I know that there is a contract that exists that yep. says that we're going to pay you this much for four hours and this much for six hours. If you have a company that says to you, I want you to pay me to create a synthetic version of your voice, the actor should pay the company to create a synthetic version of your voice. You can come back and say, actually, no, my voice is valuable. And there is a contract that exists that says I get paid this much for four hours and this much for six hours to create my voice. So it arms all of us with a little bit more than we had before this contract came out, even if you're not in the union. 100%. And I mean, I think that's why conversations like this are so important, because the vast majority of voice actors, I think it's fair to say, are non-union talent. And so I think there's a lot of them that probably aren't paying attention to what's going on right now. But ultimately... The conversations that happen, the the influence that is is put into all of this, the the contract or the legislation, whatever that comes as a result of it, uh, it it matters union or not, right? It, it's yeah. it's going to set the tone, and it's going to give even the non-union voice actors something to to refer back to and and to have in their corner. And so I, I do think these conversations are so important to have. So let me ask you, what do the voiceover talent do right now nava is obviously deeply ingrained in all of this right you're having conversations with the union or having conversations with various and assorted levels of government what can the voice actor do to be a part of this in a, in a productive way be, be be educated and know what it is know how to 
read these contracts in a way that actually answers the questions you need to know before you, in order to do that job. I mean, we've got our, we have a synthetic, an AI synthetic page on the website, which has the AI writer on there. It has definitions about this, about the, the work. We have a 13 questions to ask page that Melissa Medina put together for us that these are the questions you need to ask when working with any, interacting with any AI or synthetic voice company. If you can't get these questions answered, you can't make an educated decision about whether you want to work with that company. And that goes both ways. You can't say yes to a company if you don't know all the all of the all of the the parameters or what the ramifications of that contract is. And additionally, you can't say no if you don't know what it means to say no. You could potentially, you know, a, a thirty thousand dollar job, we just looking at the price of that job doesn't tell you whether it's worth doing. It could be worth doing. And thirty thousand dollars for a very controlled very specific usage and and recording process and storage and safety and and generation of a voice could be could be very viable thirty thousand dollars for unlimited usage and unlimited generation in perpetuity is not worth anything you should yep. walk away from that but if you don't have that answer you can't say yes or no this is something that you know we've worked with you know online casting specifically voice um voice one two three to implement those questions into their platform. And if anybody, you know, if you were paying attention on the site a few months ago, there were, there was this probably a month or so where there were hundreds of AI TTS jobs showing up every single day. Yeah. And the gut reaction was to say no and turn those down. That's what people were doing and they were pushing back. But we could, we could look at that. We didn't have even have the right questions to ask about whether we could take that or not. So we worked with voice, um, voice one, two, three. They implemented our questionnaire into their system, and the next day there were no jobs. And right now, one job pops up every few weeks because that's the, those jobs. That's the only job that is able to actually answer the questions and provide enough information in order to even be up on the casting site. So that, that that's an important thing to look at. Be educated. Yeah, I think yeah. there are two things voice actors can do. One is to, I mean, besides what Tim said, in addition to <laughs> yes, and. Um, one is to amplify the message of consent, mm -hmm. control, and compensation. Those are the yeah. three things we all want when it comes to uh, digital and uh, synthetic voices. We want consent. We want to be able to say yes or no to, to mm -hmm. whether or not you can create a synthetic version of my voice. We want control, meaning I get to decide what my voice does. And compensation, I need to be paid fairly for the use of my digital double or digital voice clone. And then the other thing is we need to also educate our clients. Yep. You can do that by including a synthetic voice contract writer. It doesn't even have to be the Nava synthetic voice contract writer. You can educate your clients by including a synthetic voice contract writer with every job that you do to open up the conversation and to let them know voice actors are not really okay with you cloning their voices without their permission. Yep. Sign this writer so that you know. You can educate your clients by like you're in a source connect test and you're and they're like, okay, just say anything. And you're like, okay, oh man, have you thought about AI lately? It's so crazy. I have this, have you seen any of those contract writers come? Like just have conversations with your clients about it. Don't yep. be afraid to have conversations because yep. they're thinking about it too. And if they're not, they should be. And it's an yep. interesting topic. <laughs> it is and and to add to that is something that you know Karen said yesterday, I think in our in our AMA, um, is talk about rates. Yes. Yeah, talk be open with this. You know, this company, you know, you're you're gonna go work with this company and you find out that that somebody, you know, they're offering you five thousand dollars, but you know because somebody else a week ago worked with that same company, they got paid ten thousand dollars. Then say, Hey, find out why. Be you know, because the comp you know, every you know, this employers wanna hide people's what they pay people so that people can't talk and negotiate better rates themselves and they can keep things secret and have that control. That's illegal to do. At least in the U S you, you have the, you have a, a right to discuss your, your, what your pay is, but there's nothing, you know, the, the taboo about discussing how much you get paid. It's I don't think there's anything wrong with that. It's an education for everybody to understand what that is. And you can look at that and say, great, you know, my, the value of this job. And this is something I talk about a lot is, don't put the value on you of, well, I, I'm only worth this amount of money for the job. Put the value on the job. So right. this is a commercial right. going to be used in, which I think, you know, Mark, and you talk about, you know, 
which is I think one of the things you've talked about for a while, is, is this is the commercial being used in this area for this length. That's how much this job costs. Whether I'm going to be the voice of that or Karn's going to be the voice or Mark, you're going to be the voice. This is the value of this job. And now I think maybe, you know, I think maybe I'm worth more than that. So I'm going to ask for an additional. But you know, this is, you know, with the union, you have minimums. Yep. And it's not the minimum of, I think, you know, I think this is Tim's minimum. This is car. This is, this is the minimum of this job. This is the value of that work and put that value on the job. And so I always say a lot of times people say, how much, how much are you going to charge? I say, well, the market rate for this job is this. Here's the market rate for that job. I didn't set that. This is what the market set. I'm not putting a value on myself or my performance in this. Um, talk about those rates. Talk about that. Be open about that because compensation is something that we're that everybody's struggling with because we don't know what the you know the value of this compensation is. A lot of times, the, the compensation we expect as voice actors is directly in opposition to the business model of these AI companies because they don't operate in a way that allows them to pay us what we're worth. Well, and exactly. they don't understand how we're paid either. Exactly. Yeah. They're like, yes. oh, it's only yep. going to take you five minutes to record a fifteen-second commercial. So how's how's fifty bucks? Hey. You're like, yeah. no, let's no, just no, be no, honest. No, no, that's that's no. not just AI <laughs> no, 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 companies that haven't figured that side companies. of things out. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> all right. Well, one final question then: yep. What can the voiceover community do to support Nava? Because obviously, you guys have become, whether you meant to or not, you have become the leader, the champion. Right? You are. <laughs> You are Mel Gibson sitting on the horse, like you are, right? Like I don't know if I want to be Mel Gibson in particular, but you, you get the reference. I'm yeah. saying, right? So, what can the community do to support you so that you can keep doing all of these amazing things and important things that you are doing? Um, yeah, I mean, Karen, Karen talked about this a lot. I'll, I'll pick up. I'll take. I'll take what Karen's going to say, and then she can make up something new. So I don't. <laughs> <laughs> um, you know, it's, it's join Nava. You know, be, be a member. When we walk into we walk into meetings with senators, if we can say, you know, we have we here we're here to represent two thousand working voice actors, or we're here to represent ten thousand, or the more people we are able to represent, the more the more sway that we have, the more legitimacy that we have. Um, and also, we are a fully members dude funded operation. So the more members we have, the more ability we have to be out there doing these things and getting ourselves to these conventions and getting ourselves to Washington, D.C. and getting ourselves to these meetings, potentially getting ourselves over to Europe to be a part of the discussion that's happening in the EU if those when those opportunities arise. Um, right. That's what that's really the best thing that we can do. And and I, that was Karen's pitch. So I'll let I'll let you make up something. I would love it if all of you attended our donation based classes. We have a lot of really cool donation based classes. Our our instructors usually give their time. And so all of the proceeds from those classes go to help us with our operating costs and to help us fund scholarships and to help us uh, pay for legal aid for voice actors and, and uh, things that we need. And what's great about a donation-based class is that you actually get something in return. If you want to make donations to NAVA, you absolutely can. We are uh, a 501c3 recognized by the IRS, so that's possible. You can donate and get a, a charitable donation uh, tax deduction. But what's great about a donation-based class is that it's you're not just giving money into the void. You're actually getting yeah. something in return. Um, we have one coming up on January 25th. Um, if you're a NAVA member, you get one free class per month. Uh, but if you're not a member, you can still take advantage of all of our donation-based classes. And those are a great way to get involved and learn and, and help uh, our cause while you're doing okay. it. So... Give us the rundown, website, social medias. Where can we find you guys? Where can we get connected? Uh, where can yeah. we get get all this information? Because I know that's the other thing, right? You're, yep. You guys are sharing a ton of information publicly Doing as well. Doing our best. Yes, we yes. are. Navavoices.org, .org, and then social media where everything Nava Voices um, on all social media, um, Twitter, Instagram, Facebook. Currently, that's where we are. Uh, LinkedIn as well, but everything is Nava Voices. Awesome. There, so Tim, Karn, thank you so much for you, not just for coming and answering all these questions today, but I mean, like I said, I don't know if this is what you envisioned when you started <laughs> Nava. I'm, I think probably it's evolved a little bit from what you originally thought you were going to do, but Absolutely. I am grateful that you have followed that evolution and uh, become a voice because I mean, there's, there's been organizations and, and associations and whatnot in the past that have, I, you know, had ideas of doing stuff like yeah. this, but I don't know that anybody's ever actually executed on it. And you guys are, 
genuinely executing on it. And as a community, we are grateful. We do it with love and drive and hope. So let's keep the hope going strong. It's really easy to feel intimidated and uncertain about the future of voiceover when we look at all of the developments that are happening in the AI space. But that's only one part of the conversation. And I would encourage you to not spend quite so much time on that side of the conversation, but look at the productive things that are happening. Look at some of the amazing things that Nava is doing, like we just discussed in this interview, and be encouraged that there are people out there who are fighting for our industry, that there are voices out there who are speaking up for our industry, that there are legislators who are paying attention to what is going on and and willing to be a part of that conversation as we create rules and laws to, to govern all of this. Good things are happening as well. And I am so grateful to Nava. I hope you'll check out the site. Consider a membership as well at navavoices.org. That's navavoices.org. Thanks so much for listening, and I'll catch you on the next one. The Everyday Vopreneur Podcast. Available everywhere fine podcasts are given away for free. Mostly, we think. You have a great website, right? Well, make sure you host it at some place that doesn't suck. Hey, it's Brad Newman, fellow VO Pro for 28 years and owner of UpperLevelHosting.com. People ask why us, and that's simple. We make it easy, respect your time, save you money, and just make all the magic happen. You don't need to know all the tech stuff when it comes to hosting your website. We got you. Ask around tens of thousands of client interactions later and six years of amazing customer service and not a single negative complaint ever. UpperLevelHosting.com. And see. And that's a wrap. Thanks for hanging in. Thanks for hanging out. Want more VOPreneur goodness? Jump online at veopreneur.com.